Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus chapter 1? <clears throat> the work of Christ. For his own. Is by a blueprint. And by meticulous plan from before the foundation of the world. It is so profound, complex, so high and comprehensive. What does it take to come from the divine mind to redeem fallen man, to satisfy an omniscient God. That's why the Bible is so marvelous. You just can't make this stuff up. The work of Christ for his own is set in eternity. And so comprehensive that God introduces it through a series of, of types. And I've said this before, and I'm not the one who came up with it. But it has been said that the Old Testament system, the, the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Pentateuch, that's the law, that's Torah. And it for us is like a coloring book with a series of pictures that are very graphic and meticulous. But if we will carefully attend to every picture in that coloring book, those illustrations comprehensively given by God in the way that he knows that we could understand them will paint us in the best way that we can comprehend it. The work of Christ for his own. The New Testament lends itself by the very words of Christ in Luke 24, to typology. In other words, there are types of Christ all the way through the Old Testament. But probably the greatest illustrations of the work of Christ are seen in the five offerings of Leviticus, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. When we see how Christ is typified in these, 
then it's easy to understand why God, and it is by design, why God begins the teaching of the five offerings with the burnt offering, which is the highest of all in the sense that it is the offering of total commitment and dedication. Now the reverse order is the way the sinner approaches God. Guilt offering, sin offering, peace offering, grain offering, burnt offering. Because I cannot offer myself in total dedication until after I've gone through what the others mean for me. I have to start with my guilt and then settle it with an offering and settle my sin and so forth. But in the inspired word of God, God in Leviticus starts with the burnt offering. That's because it's teaching us of Christ. We have to keep this in mind all the way through the Old Testament. We're learning of Christ and the work of Christ, which of course culminates in the life of Christ and through Christ is applied to the church and through the church is taught to the world. It's right that when typifying Christ, the first offering that is taught is the burnt offering. Because you see, Christ first had to totally commit himself and dedicate himself completely and absolutely to the work of the Father before the others could be applied. So Christ starts with his perfection and his perfect obedience and total commitment. That's the burnt offering. And then moves from there because he is totally committed to obedience to the Father. Then he moves through the other things. Finally down there, he offers himself as sin and guilt offering. But he couldn't have done that if he had not first offered himself completely in total commitment and obedience to the Father's will. It's reversed for you and me. We have to start with guilt and sin and then peace and grain and burnt offering. We'll talk about that as we go, God willing. So there's a great storybook here, a, a coloring book that you and I will be excited to learn. I don't know how many sermons you ever hear on Leviticus, for example. That is profoundly important, especially in the backdrop and the foundation that is laid in the Old Testament for the work of Christ, and the ministry of Christ. So we're, we're on holy, holy ground here, studying the book of Leviticus. Leviticus follows Exodus. Before COVID, B.C., before COVID, we were studying Exodus. We were in another room on Sunday nights. 
And we did complete Exodus, but for those who were in those studies, all we saw were the threats and intimidation of a wrathful God who would punish and crush and destroy sinners who had broken the law. Exodus is the law. Leviticus is grace. We're going to see that here as we study it. There are words that we should probably become familiar with. Atonement. The central theme of Leviticus is atonement. Atonement means to be reconciled with God. By a mutually acceptable sacrifice. Doesn't matter if we accept it or not as long as God Almighty accepts it. And so he gives instructions on what kind and how, what kind of sacrifice offering is acceptable and then how it's to be offered. There's an intermediary, an intermediary there. Here is the worshiper who is sinful and he comes with an offering and there is a priest who must clear the offering, approve of the offering in that sense. And the priest is between the worshiper and the holy God in the holy of holies. All of this takes place in the tabernacle. It's in the days of the tabernacle. So there is a priest. There is a worshiper who is a sinner. There is a sacrifice to be made in his behalf. There is a priest who will help him in his reconciliation with God. And thus the offering is made. And that reconciliation between sinful worshiper and holy God is atonement. Something else acceptable to the Father, something else acceptable to God can take my place. It has to meet certain criteria, but it can be offered in my place and God will be satisfied. That's atonement. Leviticus explains to us the holiness that is required in the lives of God's people. We are helpless to attain that holiness on our own. But God provides for his worshiper and God even does what he has to do so that the worshiper understands that God even provides for him his holiness. But he has to be obedient to the instructions of God here. For example, in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus also teaches us that God forgives. It teaches us that God provides the forgiveness so that we may be restored to him or reconciled to him. This is my four point outline of Leviticus. It starts with the holy offerings. Then it continues by the, by the defining of the holy priesthood. And then teaches us about holy people. Holy people 
who are bound to holy offerings through a holy priesthood. They become a holy people. And where they are headed, where they will live, what has been given to them is the holy land. It's holy because God's reconciled people are there. They are holy because God has reconciled himself with them through what God gives instruction. Now, here's the contrast. Exodus begins and teaches about the wrath of God. It's a scary picture. A smoking mountain and fire and a booming voice, thunder and lightning, and the warning that even if an animal touches the base of that mountain, it will die. So Leviticus, however, starts differently. We'll see this. The first of the holy offerings, there are five of them. The first one is in chapter one. It is the burnt offering. Hola. Hola. That's, that is not a Spanish greeting. That is a Hebrew word that is defined burnt offering. The word literally means to ascend or the ascent. Theologically, it speaks of the, it speaks of the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ that ascends as a pleasing thing to the Father. So that speaks of the burnt offering. Now, here are instructions for the worshiper. Later on, there are instructions for the priest. But here are the instructions for the worshiper in Leviticus chapter 1. Now, here's how we're going to treat this. We're just going to read it all the way through. This is what, 17 verses? And then we're going to draw some conclusions at the end of reading the 17 verses and extract from, the, from that teaching in chapter 1 how it is applicable to me in my personal life. So here we go. And he called Moses. Okay, now let me stop there. It is Vaikra. First word. Vaikra. El Moshe. And then uh, it speaks of Yahweh in the next Second word down. And Yahweh called. That comes, although Yahweh, you would say, and he called, which is reference to Yahweh, who is the, what, fifth word over. But the first word is, it's the one on the right, top line. Vai, vai, kra, vai, kra. It means... And he called. That's grace. He didn't have to do that. It's the contrast between Leviticus and Exodus. Exodus says, touch this mountain and die. Let me show you my wrath on sin. Your unworthiness. Here's my law that you will never, ever attain through obedience in your life. Intimidating. Scary. Then here's Leviticus. Immediately following law comes grace. And he called. It would be meaningless if God never called. 
He's too high. He's too far. He's too big. He's too holy. I, I cannot approach his presence. I, I would disappear into nothingness. I cannot call to him. He can call to me in this sense. God calls. And then the worshiper calls on his name. But God initiates the call. Here it is. And he called to Moses. And Yahweh spoke to him from the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. Saying, speak to the sons of Israel. And say to them, when a man from among you brings a sacrifice to Yahweh from animals, from cattle or from flock, you shall bring your sacrifice. So we're looking at we're, we're looking at uh, uh, herds and flocks here. Bring them when a man among you brings a sacrifice to Yahweh. So the worshiper is to bring a sacrifice. You shall bring your sacrifice from among, and the definitions will be given, from among, from among uh, herds or flocks or birds. If his sacrifice is a burnt offering from cattle, there's the burnt offering, there's the word, uh, an unblemished male, he shall bring it. He shall bring it willingly. It will be a free will offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle before Yahweh. Now, take note how many times the phrase before Yahweh or to Yahweh it's all the way through this thing. The worshiper engages in a personal act of worship. And when he is so moved, he willingly comes to the gate, the door of the tabernacle, and he comes before Yahweh. And he comes with his Perfect sacrifice, unblemished male from among the flocks. And he shall lean his hand forcefully upon the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted for him to atone for him. When he forcefully leans on the head of his sacrifice, he is exclaiming to God, this thing is me. And this is how I want you to see me, oh God. Very holy, holy act of worship to lay the hand on the burnt offering. And he shall slaughter. Now the, the priest doesn't slaughter here. The worshiper does. So the worshiper kills the young bull before Yahweh. And Aaron's descendants, literally the sons of Aaron, the priests shall bring the blood and dash the blood upon the altar, around the altar, which is at the gate of the tabernacle. Now this is where the priests stand, aiding the worshiper in his approach to the mightiest being of the universe. And he shall skin the burnt offering. And after he skins it, He'll cut it into its prescribed sections. 
you completely open this animal, this dead animal, you completely open it up. You turn it inside out. Nothing is hidden from God. This is me. I want you to have the totality of who I am. I don't want anything to be hidden from you. I want all of me to be for you. In committed obedient service to you, this is the burnt offering. Now, for the worshiper, of course, it's understood that it comes after the guilt and the sin of those offerings. He has to deal with sin before he can offer himself as a, as a, as a committed worshiper. His sin has to be dealt with first and foremost. Cut it into its prescribed sections. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall place fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Now the priests are doing what only the priests could do. And Aaron's descendants are the sons of Aaron. The priests shall then arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on top of the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. And its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. Then the priest shall cause to go up and smoke all of the animal on the altar as a burnt offering, a fire offering, with a pleasing fragrance, a sweet aroma to Yahweh. Let me stop there. This is the only, of the, the only one of the five offerings that is completely and totally given to God. The other offerings, a portion for the priest is laid aside, but not this one. You don't dedicate yourself partly to a priest and partly to the creator. You dedicate and commit yourself completely to Yahweh. So this whole thing is given to Yahweh and nothing is left. It is consumed in that fire and the, and the smoke of the burning goes up. And it is a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh because the worshiper has given himself completely over in service. Not withholding any part of his life. He gives it to Yahweh and Yahweh is pleased. Before Christ ever went to the cross, coming as the virgin born son of God, in his life, in his incarnation, Paul writes how he laid aside his glory. He didn't think that something to be held at all costs, but he came in the form of a man, died even the death of the cross. And he pleased the father with his burnt offering, he, he, he gave himself completely before the incarnation. So he was the burnt offering first. He had to come as a burnt offering first. And then he worked his way to the sin offering, the cross, the guilt offering. You and I can't do that. You have to go the other way. But when it makes its way to the burnt offering, it is a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh. Now the next, you can take one. One can take an offering, a sacrifice from a flock instead of a herd. And if his offering is brought from the flock, from sheep or from goats as a burnt offering, he shall sacrifice it an unblemished male. So he can take a sheep. He can take from his flock if he doesn't have a herd. He shall slaughter it on the northern side of the altar before Yahweh. 
The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall dash its blood upon the altar around, sprinkle the blood, and he shall cut it into its prescribed sections with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on top of the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar, and the entrails and the le- with the legs he shall wash with water. Then the priests shall offer up all of the animal and cause it to go up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh. So if, it, if you don't have a herd, but you have a flock, bring the best that you have from a flock. And if his sacrifice to Yahweh is a burnt offering from birds, he shall bring it from turtle doves or from young doves. And the priest shall bring it near to the altar and nip off its head. A bird is smaller. The priest here assumes the work. There's not enough room for all but... The worshiper brings the bird. The the priest nips off its head, causes it to go up and smoke on the altar. And its blood, that is the bird's blood, shall be pressed out upon the wall of the altar. And he shall remove its crop along with its entrails and cast it next to the altar on the east side to to the place of the ashes. He shall split it open with its wing fingers and uh, wing feathers intact. And he shall not tear it completely apart. The priest shall then cause it to go up in smoke on the altar on top of the wood, which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh. The first three offerings are a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh. The last two, the sin and the guilt offering there. Nothing is said about that being a pleasing Aroma. Now, we've read the 17 verses. One can take an offering from among his herds or from among his flock, or he can just catch a bird. No one is left out. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how, how much you have. There is an arrangement made so that everyone can offer the burnt offering. So let's take some points from this. This is the only sacrifice that consumes the entire animal. It, along with the next two, produces a sweet aroma to Yahweh. The central part of this offering was that everyone could afford to bring something. The wealthier of the people who had herds were expected to bring the best of their herds. If he only had a flock or flocks, he was expected to bring the best of that. If not, do his best, he would find, catch a turtle dove, a bird. If he was poor and couldn't do anything else, the burnt offering was still available for him. And just as to the others, his offering was also a sweet fragrance, a pleasing fragrance to Yahweh. The worshiper in the Hebrew text teaches us that he would firmly lean, he would lean on with all of his weight, he would lean all of, him, all of his body 
on the sacrifice so that as far as was possible, he could identify with this, this, this sacrifice, this offering. And in his worship, as much for his own sake as to demonstrate to Yahweh his commitment, he would within his own heart be expressing his commitment to dedicating himself completely to Yahweh. The worshiper had to personally kill the sacrifice, except for the bird, which with the intricate work of the priest, the priest would take the bird. But the worshiper was personally involved in this whole thing. The worshiper would cut the sacrifice in pieces so that nothing was hidden. Everything was revealed to Yahweh. This is total obedience, total commitment. And this offering was closely linked to atonement in the overall text. The burnt offering was the most common of all of the offerings. It opened the way to fellowship with God. It is seen as appeasing the wrath of God through personal devoted commitment. It pleased God. It was a costly offering, but it was commensurate to the worshiper's ability to bring the offering. We've talked about that in the last thing that we looked at. So what about the burnt offering in me? When I come to the Lord with total obedience and commitment, the demands of love and obedience are costly. It costs you something. But it pleases God. We should be reminded of the supreme importance of holiness in our lives. The burnt offering is a sacrifice of total commitment. Remember, nothing is left to yourself. It's all committed to God. Now, when we look at these offerings, we're looking at the work of Christ in our behalf. So we, we have a pair of seeing glasses that help us see this relative to Christ, not to ourselves. Christ speaks of the typology of it in the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews, of course, as well, uh, teaches us that Christ is superior to all these and has replaced these. But when we study these things, we see the beauty of the work of Christ in our behalf and how much more it should be applied to our lives. This, this holiness and this sacrifice of commitment. It's a reminder to give to the Lord our lives. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul wrote. Now that sacrifice is the burnt offering. And we should always be reminded this offering pleased the Lord. It was a thing that satisfied him. It was closely connected to atonement. And it so moved upon Yahweh that he laid his wrath 
aside. The beauty of total commitment seen in the burnt offering. Well, we'll stop there. Let's pray and we'll be through for tonight. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. All of it. How wonderful it is. All that Christ has done for me. Thank you for giving us the privilege of studying it tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.